Good morning. How are we doing? Didn't the guys do great this morning? You know, all that preparation, all that energy that's gone into, uh, you know, preparing that music and the tech guys. It's so uh, we can have an experience in church. I thought they did a great job. So let's give them a round of applause. You know, all our musicians and guys at the back and everybody serving for giving us a great experience at church. Um, we do appreciate you all. Yeah, I'm going to speak this morning. Uh, we've looked at Nehemiah this year. Um, one of the phrases for the year was that Nehemiah uses, um, which was a rise and build. I felt that was key this year. Another phrase that I brought this year was breathe new life. I thought that it was important for us as a church. We're here to breathe new life as a, as a people of God. Um, so we've looked at the story, and if you need to catch up on that, you can go online and listen to some of that. If you're new this morning, you know, if you're a student, you're just coming in, you can catch up. They're all online. I don't want to go over too much of the story in Nehemiah, but basically what had happened to the people of God had been in captivity, and they'd, then they'd been released, and some of them came back to Jerusalem. But Jerusalem was in a mess, and then there's a guy called Nehemiah who works for the king. He's a cupbearer, and he hears about this mess, and his heart goes out that the people of God that shouldn't really be in a mess because the people of God, they should be a light to the nations, but they're not a light to the nations. And he, he's, he's distraught in his heart, so he asks if he has permission to go and uh, rebuild Jerusalem, basically. That's an average task, isn't it? <laughs> you know, you go to your boss, can I just go because I want to go and build the nation of uh, Israel for the, f- for, the, for the next few months. But he goes and he does that, and he rallies the people together, right? He rallies them with the vision to believe again that this city can be built back up. Okay, that this city doesn't have to be in ruins like your life. It doesn't have to be like that anymore. It can be built back up. It doesn't have to remain in rubble. It can be built back up in God. So Nehemiah, and he goes and he builds the walls of the city. He's like the governor of the city who puts the infrastructure in place with vision and rallies them together. And they start to unite together. They believe in the vision again that the church or the people of God can be built back up because the city's being built back up. And, and that's what I've kind of preached on, that we're all finding our place. That's what this wall is. We're all unique. None of us are the same like these bricks. And God chips us away and finds our place in the body of Christ. And we all find our place. You know, we don't have to be like anybody else. We find our place and we're built back up as a body of believers. Not as a wall. Not as, you know, the external stuff that we're building, that, you know, the building. But as people God's interested in. Or the body of Christ. And Nehemiah comes in and he gets these walls built. Phenomenal, you know, visionary and leader to rally the people and, and build, you know, and organize and build the walls of Jerusalem. But then there's something else that needs to be done. There's something else that needs to be rebuilt. And somebody else comes in to rebuild the people. Because the walls have been built. But God knows, Nehemiah knows, and Ezra knows that if something else isn't sorted out first within the walls, you can build the outside, but if the inside isn't sorted, we're going to have problems with the outside eventually. And that's a little bit like our lives that are on a journey of restoration. God wants to build the outside of your life. He wants you to prosper. But more importantly, he wants the inner life sorted first. Because out of the inner that's where life comes. You know, if the inner's sorted, it doesn't matter about the outer. The outer can fall apart. The walls can fall down, but actually the inner's still strong. Are you, are you hearing me this morning? So Nehemiah understands that he's not doing this alone. He can build the walls, but he needs something else sorted. He needs a priest to come in, someone who connects with God and cannot connect God with earth. 
Today, that's Jesus Christ for us. But in the Old Testament, there was a priest that went into the temple. They, they ministered to God and got ministered to. Then they took the presence of God out to the people so that the rule of God, the kingdom of God, would be ordained through God and to the people. Nowadays, we don't need that. Jesus is the high priest, and he actually connects to you, and you become a priest. So you don't need a pastor to do it. The pastor can preach, and I'm ordained to lead you and to help the church as a gift to the church. But you yourself are a priest now in the New Testament. So you have permission to go into the temple of God because of Jesus Christ. You don't earn that right. It's the gift of God that you recognize, I can't get in, but Jesus has made a way. I can come into the presence of God this morning because of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Not in my own strength. Because of the blood of Jesus that makes me right and whole, I can come into the presence of God this morning. And, and, and that's what I kind of want to preach on this week and next week. I might be a bit fumbled this morning. A bit, I'm all over the shop. But I just this is my thing, right? And I want to preach on the presence of God. Nehemiah shares this scripture, which I think is a phenomenal scripture that many people use, but we don't always understand it. And it says, Nehemiah writes, in, in, in many of you will have heard it, the joy of the Lord is my strength. So Nehemiah had something foundational. Is it up there, guys? Sorry, I didn't read it all. Okay, he says, do not grieve. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Anybody know the Lord this morning? Anybody? Some people. Does anybody want to know the Lord this morning? Does anybody want to know the Lord even more than what you knew him before? That's hunger. That's desire. That causes devotion in your life to dig deeper through your trial and your tribulation, through your disappointment, through your grief, through your pain, through your suffering. That is difficult and we wonder where God is. Is God still with us? Where is he? What's gone on? And this is what happened with the Israelites. The Israelites had been in captivity. They'd been battered. They'd been abused. They, they lived in poverty. They were scrimping and scrounging around for food. They hadn't got anything. They were a lost people. They didn't know who they were, let alone if they were prospering. They didn't even know where God was. They disowned God. They'd given up on God. But the good news is God hadn't given up on them. God did not give up on these people even though they rejected him. And if you look at the Israelites... They were in a mess. They needed their city to be built up, but more importantly, them as a people needed to be built up. Their minds needed to be renewed to realize who they are. They'd forgotten who they are. They'd forgotten their identity. They were settling for second best when they were called to be children of God and children of light in this nation. You know, Romans fourteen seventeen says this, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness. Peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Isn't it? I can't say that word joy. This week I've had a moment of listening and almost preaching to myself. And every time I say the word joy, I start laughing. And I'm like, I don't know if I can preach God on joy. Because every time I start saying joy, I start laughing. You know, I had a time with God in his presence this week. And God did something. I thought, I need to preach on joy. I was going to preach on something else. And then this happened. I thought, okay, I'll preach on joy. So... The presence of God clearly gives us something. It gives us righteousness. It gives us peace. And it gives us joy. And that's why I believe Nehemiah can say, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Not my circumstances. Not my past. 
Not even that abuse. Not even the grief that I'm going through right now is going to dictate to me in my life. But there's something deeper that I've found in God that gives me a strength. His righteousness, the right relationship, the peace that that brings, and the rest, the Sabbath that I get that I no longer strive anymore, but I'm at rest in God. Therefore, the joy that it brings in my life because of what God has done for me. You see, the joy of the Lord isn't like happiness that comes and goes based on happenings, circumstances. I'm feeling happy today because Stoke City won. Or I'm a Port Vale fan. They won yesterday. Congratulations. I'm a Stoke fan. I'm a little bit, you know, talk about highs and lows of a f- supporting a football team. But, you know, circumstances come and go. That makes us happy. But joy is different. Joy is what we get from God and not from us. It's not what we get from this world. It's what we get from God and God alone. In God's promise and in God's presence, it is available. David says, in the presence of God is fullness of joy. So if I am in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. I am full with his presence. Therefore, I am full of joy. Are you with me this morning? There's fullness of joy in the presence of God. Does anybody want to know the presence of God? Because in the presence of God is fullness of joy. You will find contentment. You will find fulfillment. You will find satisfaction. You will find purpose. You will find promise beyond your imagination in the presence of God. You don't need anything else apart from the presence of God. Nehemiah says it, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Where did he find it? In the presence of God. When he saw the devastation of what was going on with the walls, he decided to pray and fast and to seek God. And there he found his presence. There he found his favor. There he found that with God all things are possible. It found in the presence of God through his connection with his living God who promises so much of abundance and favor and blessing. Yet we settle like the Israelites for the old and the limitless, the limit of our own imaginations. We see ourselves as grasshoppers as they said when they were coming, trying to go into the promises of God. Yet God promises us righteousness, peace, and joy, where? In his presence. How? In the Holy Spirit. In the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God does it for you. You don't do it. How receptive or open are you this morning to the Spirit of God in your life? How open of you to receive God's presence in your life. How do we do this? David said, fullness of joy in your presence. There's eternal, eternal goodness. This is David of the Old Testament. Didn't even know Jesus Christ. Yet he speaks of a presence and a fullness. An eternal, everlasting goodness in God. It's like God opened him up to see who he was and what he can do in his presence. Now, me and you and all of us in here, that is available through faith in Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit that can open you up to see something that you've never seen before. So do you want the joy of the Lord? Do you want the joy of the Lord to be your strength? Does anybody want to know God's joy in your life? You'd be stupid not to. Who doesn't want to be full with joy this morning? Or do you want disappointment or do you want joy? Anybody want joy? Say, I want joy. I want joy. I want joy. You've got to desire joy. You see, Nehemiah did not ignore the grief. 
They were grieving. There was loss. Nehemiah said, do not grieve. He acknowledges the grief, the disappointment, the pain, the past. He acknowledges suffering we're going through. God does not ignore that. But he says, there's something else that I want you to remind you of. There's a joy in me. You know, the joy of the Lord is steadfast. It does not stop. It does not cease like me and you and our emotions. It keeps going. Does anybody like chocolate? Yeah? One person. Sorry, there might be somebody in here who doesn't like chocolate. I used to teach a child and he like, couldn't eat chocolate. I just didn't get it. My head just couldn't work it out. You don't like chocolate? No, no sweets. You don't like chocolate or sweets? No, just don't like them. I'm like, you did something wrong here. But, you know, I remember, you know, you, you, you go to a party when we were little and you'd had cakes and you want the chocolate cake. You'd eat the bits because your mum would make you eat all the bits that you didn't really want to eat. All I was bothered about was the chocolate cake at the end. And you'd count them to see how many there were. There was enough. And they'd be like, I want the chocolate cake. That's what I'm after. And you'd get there and they'd just say, you can only have one. So you'd have the one chocolate cake and you didn't enjoy that. And then as I've grown up and as I've had kids, it's kind of, and how, how blessed we are in this society, it's moved from one chocolate cake and you get the chocolate fountain. Have you seen, who likes a chocolate fountain? It's just never ending. Has anybody seen, what was that program with, what's her name? Thingy, um, oh, the Vicar of Dibley. Have you seen when she finds a chocolate fountain? If you've never seen that, there's, there's one when she finds a chocolate fountain. She just puts her head under it. She just gets under it like this, right? And just drinks of the chocolate fountain. What do you want? Do you want the one piece of chocolate that you think you can have? Or do you want the chocolate fountain that doesn't stop? You sit there and they just keep going. The kids just keep going up. Our kids, you like, you need a chain on and pull them back. Can I go again? The fruit goes under. You know, the Chinese goes under. You know, the curry goes under. Chocolate curry, have you tried it, Dad? And they just keep going back to the chocolate fountain. Why? Because it doesn't stop. It's like God's presence. It is unceasing. His joy is unceasing. It does not stop. It's who God is. He says, I am the God who never changes. Therefore, if there was fullness of joy in his presence, it cannot stop because it's who God is. The Bible says when people get saved, there's joy in heaven. The angels are celebrating because someone gets saved. It's who God is. It's his presence. So if we're in his presence, we have a fullness of joy that doesn't stop. It doesn't waver. It's not one of those, you know, things that fads. God's not a fad, you know. He's a consistent, eternal, living God who doesn't change. And we can be reassured that he doesn't change. He doesn't cease. He doesn't waver. And he's all-powerful. Therefore, we can rest in his presence because our eternity, if we believe, is safe. Therefore, I have joy in his presence and in his promise because of who he is and he does not change. He is unceasing. He is unwavering. He is all powerful. How does that sound to you? Now, that is available for you by the spirit of God in your heart and overflowing like a chocolate fountain into your soul. It's yours and available. Or are you going to be like the Israelites that say, no, I'm just not going. I'm not worthy. I'm going to stay back with a Babylon kind of captivity mindset and settle for that. Or are you going to say, no, the promises of God are mine. And I'm going to be willing to go after them. This unwavering, this unceasing, this powerful spirit that God promises me in my life. That he promises me in his presence that is the joy of the Lord. 
Does anybody want that? Does anybody hunger for that? I hunger for the presence of God like David. I want your presence, Lord. I hunger for you daily. I don't want to just come church and experience a good music time. I want your presence like you say to go with me daily. God, you say you are with us. You are in us and you are transforming us. That means I am now the living temple. and Wherever I go, you are with me. That is who God is. That's what he's promised in the, in the New Testament by the power of the Holy Spirit. You receive the Spirit and the Spirit is now working in you. He's working with you and he's transforming you. That's the New Testament. It's no longer an Old Testament, that we're, an old temple that we go to. Jesus said, I'll destroy the temple in three days. I've smashed it up. I've had enough of the sacrifices. I'm going to build a new temple. And this temple, he says, is my body and it will be destroyed. And it was destroyed for three days and then he rose it up again as the body of Christ. He was the temple. The presence of God, the fullness of joy was in Jesus Christ. Now he said, I'm going to transfer that or incarnate it into my people. So now you become the living temple of God. Woo, this is a different ball game. He's changed the game. He's destroyed the old days, as it said. The last days, as Jesus said, are going to be destroyed and the new days are going to come, which is the New Testament, which is where he resides in you now. The presence of God is in you now. The presence of God is here now. You just have to learn to engage with it. You just have to acknowledge it. You just have to devote yourself to learn about it. So I need to keep moving. Are you with me this morning? The Spirit of God is here. He is in you. He is transforming you. So how do we get this joy? What does Nehemiah do to get the joy? Okay? This is where we get the joy from. It is a restored relationship with the Father. That's where the joy comes from. A restored relationship with our Heavenly Father. How's that relationship this morning? With your heavenly father. Has it been restored? Are you right with God? Do you have God's peace? Do you have God's joy? It's a restored relationship with our heavenly father. See, Nehemiah knew all the walls were built, but he understood there was something else that needed to happen within the walls. If the people of God weren't restored again, then they'd just carry on. Now, they do, they do mess up because they're human beings and they fall. But here's the deal. The relationship with God is eventually restored through Jesus Christ. And that promise is eternal and won't fade. It won't change. It is constant and it does not move. It is by the power of God, not by man, that God has restored the relationship. And this is what we have to grab hold of. It's like, it's like you look up at the sky and there's a tapestry that God's doing and you think, what are you doing, God? And you think it's all a mess, but God's weaving something in his tapestry of you know, history through the Israelites and Moses and all these people that you think, God, where are you? And there's like this little thread that's dangling down from the tapestry and that's for you. And you think, all I've got that I hold on to is this thread of the tapestry. But all I'm going to cling on to that God says, I will restore you. I will rebuild you. My promises are eternal. And we hold on to the thread of truth and say, my God is right with me this morning because of Jesus Christ. And I'll hold on to that truth. How do we do this? What does Nehemiah do? Sorry, what does Nehemiah do? He brings in Ezra. What does Ezra do? Let's read chapter 8, verses 1 to 6. 
It says all the people came together. This reminds me of Acts, by the way. It's a similar thing to Acts when we see the Holy Spirit poured out. It says they came together as one. There you go. Like it was in Acts. They were all of one mind. One in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the Lord, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him, on his right, stood Mattathiah, Shema, and I don't know that one, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah. That'll do. And on his left were these other people. You can read there and read them yourself. Zechariah and Mesuzalem. This is why you didn't read it the other week, Sarah. And this is my favorite bit now, right? Ezra opened the book. Ezra Open the book. Who likes reading? I struggle with reading. I hated reading at school. I couldn't read. I struggle with language. You know, I struggle in my head sometimes to put words down that I'm thinking. I struggle with language. It's always been a battle for me to read a book. It's like, I, it's like the worst thing on the planet to try and sit and read a book for me. It's been a personal battle for me. But one thing I've learned is if I don't open the book, I'm not going to understand the message of God. If I don't open it, if I don't open it, I'm not even going to get to on stage or step one of the journey of discovering the joy of the Lord. It says, Ezra, open the books. What books do you like? Maybe you like thrillers. Maybe you like, you know, books about murder. I don't know. Maybe you like history books. Uh, you know, my favorite book, I remember being at school, there was a book that you read, and you get to a certain page, and it said, to go to the cave, go to page seven. To go to the the village, go to page nine. And you're like, oh, where do I go? Do I go to the cave or do I go to the village? You remember those books? Do they still do them? And yeah, you could choose where you went on the journey. You'd end up at a certain page. You think, I don't like it here. I'm going to go back. I don't like it there. I'll go this next. And I'll go that one. It's just like this little adventure. And I love that book. They were like, they made my mind. One of my favorite books was The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Just opened my imagination. I didn't know anything at the time that it was based on, you know, C.S. Lewis's and, you know, is symbolic of, the, of Christ and his coming and the, all of that, of the, of the light. I didn't get all of that when I read it, but I just thought it was a lovely story. But my favorite book was the, you, you know you like these. I'll know you like them because you'll, you'll respond. And you're not too old to like these books. You're not too young. You probably, you know, when you're young, you love these books. As parents, I read them and think, get those books out. They're easy to read. They're the pop-up books. You love them. You, uh, you open them up and you're like, boom, they popped out. And you're like, wow, these are the best books ever. Get a pop-up book. And you'd be like, all them touchy-feely books that the kids have. They were my favorite because I didn't have to read words. It's like, these are easy. I just pop them up and, whoa, they come alive. Boom, oh, the snowman comes out. And do that. And look, his arm moves. Woo, what books these are. These are easy. But you know, the best book that God has given us is his word, the Bible. And if we're able to open up the book and discover who we are, 
who God says we are, not who we say we are, not what our past says we are about, not our disappointment and our pain, but who God says we are. We can discover a joy in the Bible that God says he loves us. He loved us when we were a sinner. He loves us when we failed. He loves us when we've disappointed. He's still loving us now, even though we fall short of his glory because his love is constant. It doesn't, it doesn't waver and it's more powerful than our sin as ever. The most worst sin in the world, God's more powerful than that. His love is greater than it. But how do we discover it? We open up the book. We open up the book. Ezra opened up the book. Why? Because they forgot who they were. They didn't know who they were. Their identity as a child of God had been lost. They, they, they saw themselves as, as, you know, as sinners. They saw themselves as they'd lost God. They were grieving because what they'd done. They, they'd fallen short of God's glory, and they grieved at their loss. You know, many of us can grieve at loss. You know, and, and, and grief is a normal process, you know, of loving people and the pain that we go through. You know, I've lost several people in the last few years, and it's, it's been heavy on my heart, and I've really struggled with grief, I'll be honest. It's only after the last couple of weeks that the Lord has shown me through his spirit and by joy that he's released me and helped me through that grief. But, you know, we can lose other things. We can lose dreams. You thought you were going to be something. It hasn't happened. You know, relationships, we're all losing something. You go primary school and you lose a class because you have to move up. Then you lose primary school because you go into high school. It's all about, and you lose all those teachers. And then you go from high school, and you lose high school because you've got to go college. You've got to go into the world. And then you lose college because you've got to go get a job. And all of your past now has been left behind. And I'm actually having to lose that and go into something else. Life is full of loss. It really is. But you know, God can help us and equip us to move on through loss. And that's what he does with the Israelites. They lost their identity as children of God. So they got out the book to remind them about who God is. You've forgotten what God did and who he is. So they opened up the book, the law of Moses, and began to read about who God was. God in the beginning spoke and he created you. He made you in the beginning. And he began to read about the fall. And they would have explained to them as they were preaching the word of God, you've forgotten who God is. You've forgotten how caring, how loving, how kind, and how faithful God is that he doesn't give up. Luke, he didn't let go of you, Israel. When you fell short with, before Moses came, you were in captivity in Egypt, and I came with my all-unceasing, powerful love and got you out of captivity through a man called Moses. I have not given up on you, Israel, and I will never give up on you. He's speaking to him. Ezra's opening up the book because they've forgotten who they are. They need to be reminded that God loved them, that he doesn't stop loving them. Even though there's a little thread hanging from that tapestry that God God's forming, there's still hope because God is in it. And he's opening up the scriptures to remind them, this is who God is. This is the all-powerful, non-ceasing God who loves you. And this is what happens in life. We have disappointment, we have discouragement, we have pain, we have grief. And this is what God, this is what happens. We base our life on those experiences and those circumstances. And it feels so painful because our soul is going through the pain. This is what God wants to do. He wants you to open up the book. He wants you to open up your heart. He wants you to open up your soul to that grief and bring God into it. And let God restore the inner, not just the outer. We can all hold the outside together, but God says, I want to restore the inner. I wanted my presence to come into there because I love you. I'm not going to harm you. I'm not going to hurt you. I just want to restore you to your form, to my former glory of who you should be so that you can bring praise on my lips out of the joy of what I've done. 
You see, Israel had forgotten. They'd been harassed by the Samaritan neighbors. You know, when you read that, you realize why the Jews didn't like the Samaritans when you hear about, you know, the stories of the good Samaritan and how the Samaritans were. It makes sense because they've been harassed for years by the Samaritan neighbors. They've been abused by them. But, you know, God wanted to remind them of who he was. So Ezra came in, opened the book, opened the scriptures. You know, we can read the Bible sometimes. It doesn't make sense. That's why we need other people in our lives. It actually says when Ezra read the book that the Levites, the priests, the men of God began to explain the scriptures to them so it made sense. So sometimes we can read scripture and it does not make sense because it doesn't make sense with our mind. In context, we don't understand. Ezra was doing was bringing it all into context of who God was from the past, bringing them to the present day and taking them into their future. And we need that in our lives. We don't just need to open the book. We actually need to understand the context of actually what it's saying in our lives. We need people who can explain that. The best person who can explain that in your life is the Holy Spirit. He's the leader. He will lead you into truth. He is the comforter of your soul. He will comfort you through your grief and he will lead you into truth if you want to be led into truth. If you want to see why you're in pain, the Israelites have to see that it was their choices that got them there. They can't blame anybody else. And God has to get us to that place of acknowledging the truth in our lives. This has happened because of my choices. Because I've put something before God. I've idolized the dream or I've idolized the relationship. I've put relationships actually before God rather than God at the center of my heart. I've worshipped this person. I've, 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 I've done it to a place where it's actually not healthy for me. And then we wonder why we're disappointed or hurt. But God says, put me at the center. What do the Israelites have to do? They have to forgive the Samaritans. You know, people in our lives, they hurt us, they affect us and you know, and God's saying, yeah, but I want you to forgive them like I forgave you. I don't want you to hold on to that anymore. We need a new, we need to kickstart this thing again. That's what he's doing with the Israelites. Let's kickstart this thing again. You're children of light. You're my children. You don't need to settle for second best anymore. I've got my best for you that's available through my son this morning, Jesus Christ. He's still with me this morning. So what happens is when Ezra opens the book, and they open their soul to the understanding of what God wants to say to them. It says the place is filled with the presence of God. And the people are beginning to rejoice with joy because God's presence is there. Why? Because there's fullness of joy in his presence. If we're not full with joy, then we're not going to praise God. But if we're full of his fullness of his presence, then we'll have fullness of joy in our lives and begin to praise him because of who he is. Not because of our circumstances or our past, but because of who he is and what he's done for our futures. Because of who God is. We don't praise because of us. We praise because of who he is. And sometimes we fix our lives on ourselves and our circumstances, our pain, our disappointment. And we make life all about me and us. And God says, life is not just about us. Life is about other people that don't know me. So take our eyes off ourselves, our hurt, our disappointment, and fix them on the living God who offers forgiveness this morning. At a depth that we'll never experience only in him. There's joy available for you this morning. Are you going to settle for disappointment? Are you going to say, okay, God, it's hard, it's disappointing, but I know you say there's fullness of joy in your presence. 
and I want to experience your presence, Lord. You say there's fullness of joy. The kingdom of God is about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So I need the Holy Spirit in my life to fill me with joy. So, yeah, I want joy, brother. Really sounds like it. I want it on the outside, but not on the inside. Because if we get on the inside, it gets a bit messy, doesn't it? Because we've got pain, disappointment, we've got sin that we like to hide away in a room that nobody wants to talk about. And God says, just let me in. Let me fill that room with joy. <laughs> Some of you are like, oh, don't want to go there this morning. See, may people, may we be people of joy as we allow him to fill us with his powerful presence. The people were, it says in Nehemiah 12, 43, that day they offered great sacrifices. See, when there's joy, you'll pay the cost. When there's joy, you'll go the extra mile because of what Jesus has done. That day they offered great sacrifices, an exuberant celebration because God had filled them with the great joy. Great. Is there any great joy in here? I'm not quite hearing great joy, guys. I've got to be honest with you. It's the great joy in God's house this morning. Have you opened up your heart to Jesus? Are you beginning to declare what God has done for you? Or is it a nice personal devotional walk? Or is it about creating an atmosphere that's filled with the presence of God and joy so that other people can experience it? Because it's going to come out of you and you alone. And you have a personal choice what to do. Will I acknowledge who God is? Have I opened up the scriptures to realize what he's done and what he's promised for me? Have I got joy in the Holy Spirit? Or am I going to just make this about, I know the word of God, but don't want to go where the Holy Spirit wants to take me. Because then I'll be out of control. And somebody else is in control of your life, not you. That's a little bit scary for some of us. Would you let God take you where he wants to take you? Would you trust him? in his promises and in his goodness that he's got fullness of joy for you this morning. You know, God wants to root us and ground us in his word, not just in our emotions or our experience. He wants us to be rooted in what he says about us, not what we say about ourselves. He wants us to be rooted and grounding in the unconditional. We've been reading, singing it. You know, the inexpressible. It's like you can't express. I'm struggling to express the joy of the Lord. I'm just struggling to explain what it's like. But I just know there's joy in my heart bursting out. He wants to root us and ground us in the unshakable joy of God. The love that is consistent and doesn't change. He wants that to be the grounding of your life. Not what the world wants you to do and say and compare. He wants something deeper inside of you that he's paid for and he's giving to you. It's your inheritance as a child of God to have the joy of the Lord. It's your inheritance of righteousness. It's your inheritance to have peace and this unshakable joy in God. It's yours. I don't know about you, but... I've never, we've never had inheritance in our family. I'm not, I'm not, you know, going on about, I'm not saying I'm, I'm from a, you know, a background that's poor because in, in this society we're rich. But we never had inheritance because parents didn't buy houses. And, you know, I remember growing up as a kid, I'd be embarrassed bring people around my house because of the furniture. We had a sofa, never forget it, bright green sofa. You know, it wasn't improper leather. It's like plastic leather. And you'd sit on it and the arms of the chair, they, 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 were, they were splitting and the foam would come out. So what my dad used to do, used to get black masking tape. I thought it was really cool. Black masking, not masking tape, what's it called? It, 
gaffer tape, right? And he'd, and he'd get the gaffer tape over the splits of the arms. And then when another one went, we'd have another one over the arm of the chair. And it was like, my dad's repaired it. Good on you, dad. You won't go to DIY. But, you know, we didn't have the money to buy a sofa. So we, we made do with what we'd got, right? And, and, that, and that's what my mum and dad did. They loved us. We were so loved in that home. You know, I, I'm not knocking my mum and dad. But they didn't have anyone to, no one passed any inheritance on. So they had to break that cycle and say, we're going to buy a house for the first time. They didn't have much money, but we're going to make the sacrifice and pay the price. And we're going to have a house so that we can pass it on to our kids. You know, Jesus Christ, Father in heaven, has paid a price far greater than anything we can imagine so that we can have an inheritance that is far greater than what we deserve, but it's available for you today in God and in God's spirit. The question is, will you open up your heart and your soul to receive more of God's promise, more of God's inheritance that he has for you? You're our child. My child is not put down. My child is not abused. My child is loved. My child is accepted. My child is valued and has worth in my kingdom. Are you receiving the restoration on the inside? Or are you beating yourself up because you don't think you're good enough? God says, let me restore you on the inner, not just the outer. Let me restore who you are as a child of God, loved and adored by me when I sacrifice my son. You want to know what God says to you this morning? The greatest message is to look to the cross. What's God's people say to me? And what's God saying to you? I'll tell you what God's saying to you. Open up the book. God says, I loved you and I died for you. And that is the message. Anything else on top of that, but don't put anything else under that. Jesus Christ is the message. God's love on the cross and the power of the Holy Spirit that resurrected him from the dead is available to you today. So we should be rejoicing in here because of our inheritance. It said they were celebrating and the place was filled with joy, great joy. The women and the children raised their... Come on, women and children. We got any women in here? The women. Woo, women in church. Man, can you... Any women in here this morning? Any women with joy? Woo! There was women, there were women, can you believe it? In church singing loud. The women and children, we can't have that, too much noise in church. The women and children raise their voices. Woo! Hallelujah, praise. No, raise it. Raise it. Oh, I can't do that in church. I'll raise my hand quick. That's it. No one see me. I'll raise my hand. I'll praise the Lord. I'll praise God today. Raise my hand. What's that about? God's saying, express how you feel about me this morning. Tell me how you feel about God this morning. I'm so in love with you, Jesus, this morning. I just want to shout this roof off. I want to raise this off. I'm going to raise your name in my life so my disappointment, my discouragement can go to hell and stay there while I dwell in your presence this morning. And it comes out of you praising God and celebrating what God has done. You open up the scriptures and this is what Jesus will do for you. You open up them scriptures and you come after God like a treasure that's so, so valuable in your life. You just want this treasure. And this is what will happen. Jesus will open the scriptures up to you. It says in the New Testament that, that some of the disciples, they were confused. They didn't understand. They didn't know what had gone on. And it says Jesus turned up and he walked with them. They didn't even recognize Jesus, it says. It's a bit of a bizarre story because you're thinking, why don't you, why? Jesus is walking with the disciples and they didn't know who he was. That's a whole other conversation we can have. But at the end of the day, God is all-powerful, and he can do that, right? But here's the deal. He walked with the disciples, and they were confused because of what had gone on. They were confused because this man called Jesus, he said, was like a prophet, and he's died, and we don't understand what's gone on. 
So what does Jesus do? He says he opens up the scriptures to them. He reminds them of who he, what God promised in the Old Testament through the prophets and what he said he was going to do. You've forgotten, you've not looked as children of God what God's going to send a Messiah. And you've forgotten in all of your pain and your disappointment and all of your ideas, you've lost God in it. But God says, I'm the same and I don't change. But Jesus opens up the scriptures to them. And he opens it up and it said, they said this. Have you got verse 32? I've got verse 32. Last verse. And they're walking with him. And I see this like us. We're walking with Jesus and sometimes we have difficulties, we have disappointments. But Jesus says this. These are what the disciples said. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us? Wow. When was the last time opening up the book of God or someone preaching to you or someone in a Bible study or someone in a new believers call opened up your heart that caused you to burn with a fire? Come on, it's the word of God. It says when they preached, they stood to the word of God. This is Jesus Christ. (laughs) This is God himself turning up as the word, Jesus. He's walking with the disciples and he talked to them and he opened up. It says this, we're not our hearts burning within us while we talked with us on the road and opened up the scriptures to us. It all comes back to Jesus. It all comes back to our love for God, the message that God has for you through Jesus Christ. I died for you. I loved you. I went through the pain and disappointment for you so I can heal you. I can forgive you. I can give you my righteousness. I can give you my peace. I can give you my joy that doesn't cease in the power of the Holy Spirit that's available for you today. It says they opened up the scriptures and their hearts burned with fire for God. How's your fire this morning? How's your fire? I'm a, I'm a bit too enthusiastic this morning. Do you want, what do you want me to be? Do you want me to be a pastor that is just quiet and, you know, we'll talk about the word of God? Or do you want me to preach with a passion? It's up to you. I know you want passion because you're here. Otherwise, you'd be in another church. It's different, right? Not that there's nothing wrong with that. God can speak through quietness and stillness. But I'm a passionate person and I'm full of the joy of the Lord. And I want you to have the joy that God's given me as well that's available for you. It is available because he paid for it and it's available this morning. It's never ending. It doesn't stop so that you can go through circumstances. You have to learn this, by the way. It doesn't just come. You have to say, I'm going to hold on to the word of God that says he is unceasing and he doesn't change. So that you can go through your trial, your tribulation, that is and remain constant in God safe and secure as David said not in yourself but in God so that you can be steadfast because God is steadfast and people look at you and say how have you got through that because God is in there God is in us God is with us God is transforming us because God does it not us but we need to be willing and hunger as it says in Acts they devoted themselves to the scriptures they prayed together they broke bread together right they met in the temple you have to say I'm devoted to this thing I am devoted to God because he's devoted for me and I want to discover what my inheritance is as a child of God I want to receive it and I want to walk in it and be devoted to it not just cast it aside but it's a hidden treasure that God has made available for you through Jesus Christ it's yours it's better than gold it's better than silver there's nothing like it it's the presence of God that dwells within us do you want it do you hunger for it you know you can say what you want to my face but it's between you and God we need some humility we need to understand we're broken 
And we need God, not just on a Sunday, but on a Monday and on a Tuesday and on a Wednesday. God, I need you. God, I hunger for you. I'm searching for you like searching for gold until I find you. Please open up the scriptures. I cannot open up the scriptures. Open up the scriptures so I understand how loved I am by you. And it will only happen when you do that. Open up your heart. Open up the scriptures. Enjoy the presence of God. He's available for you, me, everybody, every day. But we must learn to walk in that. Hold on to his truth, his promise that he is with us, for us, not against us. He's never going to leave us. I'm going to finish with this prayer. This is Paul writing in Colossians and uh, chapter 1, verse 11 to 14. And Paul's writing to them. This is New Testament, so not Old Testament, it's New Testament. He's explaining the scriptures like the Levites did in Nehemiah, like Jesus did to the, you know, the, the disciples. Paul is explaining the scriptures to the church, and he prays this prayer in the New Testament. It says, we also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power, so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. Anybody need some endurance and patience this morning? (laughs) I know I do. There we go then. So he says this, May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. It's your inheritance. The joy of the Lord, knowing God. Maybe you know him. Maybe you've been steadfast. I want to encourage you to keep going. Remain with your joy. Hold on to God. Maybe you need some refreshing and some reviving because you've been hurt and abused and God wants to fill you again in an area of your life this morning. God can do that because he loves you. There is fullness of joy, David says, in his presence. We're going to worship him now. Let's stand. I'm going to invite the band up. You know, and I just, as we sing this song, guys, we're going to, we'll do reckless love first. You know, this is the reckless love of God. And I want you to just open up your heart to the truth this morning of what God's done for you. Thank him. Sing with a celebration in your heart. Maybe you're grieving and you've got, had loss in your life and God wants to minister to you and bring healing so that he can replace those areas of your life, that disappointment, that pain, with a fullness of joy in those areas of your life. And we're not dismissing the pain and the we acknowledge them but sometimes God wants to heal us and bring in his presence his presence can still all of your problems it can just get them out your mind in his presence that's how powerful it is